Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our sermon series from 1 Samuel, A Personal God. We hope that this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. All right. Well, this morning we're going to uh, just get right back into the Word of God and we're going to come back into our study in the book of 1 Samuel. And so I want you to take your Bible right there at the house and, and go to uh, 1 Samuel. And we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter number 4 this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 4. <clears throat> 1 Samuel chapter 4 today. And uh, I pray, I hope that the service already has been an encouragement. I know that, uh, again, I know we can't meet together, but I'm so thankful that uh, God has brought us the tools that we can gather together online and meet. And uh, I was just talking with, uh, with um, Will, talking with the Lord this morning, and then talking with someone else about it, wondering how long this is going to be going on. And uh, you know what? I, I, I definitely miss meeting together. I miss spending time together. I miss seeing everyone. Uh, but I will tell you that I am thankful that while all this is going on, that we have the ability and the capability to gather together online and to talk with the Lord and to spend time uh, learning the Word of God and hearing from the Lord. And so I pray that, uh, that the service, the singing, and everything would just be an encouragement to our heart. Well, First Samuel chapter 4 this morning, we're going to come right back into our study. And we've been going through, if you've been with us, you're going to remember that we've been learning uh, about a personal God. And for those of you that maybe this might be your first time jumping on, or maybe you haven't been with us in our series, just tell you real quick that so far we've met a number of people. Uh, the very first chapter, we met a lady by the name of Hannah. And she was just really in a distressed and discouraging situation, uh, really to the point of, the Bible says, bitterness in her soul, that she was just... A a point of anguish, and we find that at that point she reaches out to God. Of course, she was there because uh, she didn't have children yet. She was at that point of anguish because she couldn't have kids, and her husband didn't understand, and, and people who should have been maybe an encouragement in her life were a discouragement in her life, and so it really just kind of drove her down to that discouraging moment, and uh, if you were here a few weeks ago or, or looking or watching, I can't remember if that was online or in-house. In I don't remember, but if you were a part of that message, then you'll remember that every single one of us, we have those times. We have those times when we're just discouraged, when we're just maybe in anguish. Maybe it's because of a, an external situation or an inner situation. Uh, we just face that moment, that time of discouragement. And we learn from Hannah that when we're facing those times, one of the best things for us to do is just to turn to the Lord. Man, to turn to the Lord, to seek him, to look up and remember that he is in control. And so what a helpful thought even during this time that we're facing. Well, as we follow the series, we remember that Hannah, uh, she prayed that God would give her a child. And she prayed that, God, if you give me that child, then I'll, I'll give him right back to you. And, well, the Lord did bless her uh, with that first son, Samuel. We know that God blessed her later with five other children. But that first child, Samuel, God blessed her with. And as soon as Samuel was old enough, you know and we know that uh, she took Samuel right back to the house of God, to the tabernacle, to Eli, and said, I've dedicated him to serve God. And so Samuel would be raised right there under the, uh, the teaching of Eli and be raised as a priest. And we'll see that in a couple of weeks where Samuel takes that office of being uh, the priest and a prophet for the people. And so 
We find out that we find that taking place in Samuel's life, but we also discover that Samuel would have been raised uh, with two other people, uh, Hophni and Phineas. Now, Hophni and Phineas, they would be probably 20 to 25 years older than Samuel, maybe 30. Uh, but they're all raised in that same environment, and they're all raised in the house of the Lord. They would be raised to, to love the Lord and to serve God. But what we saw is we saw two different paths. We saw Hophni and Phinehas rebelling against God and turning their back against God. But then we saw Samuel becoming a servant of the Lord. And, and one that followed after God and had the heart of God. And uh, man, we were challenged in that message. I don't want to follow the path of Hophni and Phinehas. I want to follow the path of Samuel. And then last week, we looked at really four decisions that Samuel made that helped him go down that path. We saw that he was a servant. We saw that he was surrendered. We saw that he spoke the word of God unapologetically. And then we saw that he stayed faithful. And man, I look at the life of Samuel. And Samuel was just really a, a great example and still is, as we look back in the Word of God, a great example of what it means to serve the Lord humbly and to continue forward for the Lord. And so we looked at those decisions. And as we come back to our study this morning, I'm going to get some help this morning. And I'm going to get some help from Brian and from Robert. I, I've asked them to volunteer, so they've been voluntold today uh, to get up and to help us. So why don't you guys come up here real quick and give them just a second to get up here. And uh, they're going to help me out this morning. And I want to ask you, as, as they take their place up here, I want to ask you if you've ever tried to cram something into a place that it did not belong. You ever try to push something into something that you knew it wasn't going to fit. Uh, as we do this this morning, I'm going to move this off to the side just for a second, because um, I know that every one of us have done this. We've tried to, maybe when you were a little kid and you had the little pegs, the little blocks, and you got the little circle one, you're trying to shove it in the square or the triangle, you're trying to push that where the star goes. We've all been there. I'm thinking maybe about even packing for a trip. You ever pack for a trip and you're just cramming, 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 and as much as you try, things aren't going to fit in that suitcase? We've all been there. And so this morning, what we're going to do is just real quick, I'm going to try to try to fit someone, and uh, we'll actually just do it on the ground. We can do that, huh? <clears throat> I'm going to try to fit someone into somewhere they don't belong. So, Rob, why don't you come over here and just help me real quick. And uh, I know that you're going to enjoy this back home. We're going to try to fit Robert inside of this. So, Rob, just just get in the box. Try to make Robert fit in there. And I really need to get it to close the lid, because if you're going to pack something and ship it, you need to... You need to be able to do it. Okay, get way down in there. Get way down in there. Yeah, there you go. You're good. Okay, now get down further and go shove in. And shove in. It's, ah, you broke my box. Ah, you know what? You can get up. That's great. Uh, you can stand right here. Of course, if all of you were here, uh, you would enjoy that. You would applaud for Robert. So give him a hand at home. Would you do that? You can't hear them, but they're giving you a hand at home. Thanks for doing that. You know what? If we try to fit Robert inside of this box, he's not going to fit. Why? He wasn't made for the box. This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to come to 1 Samuel and, and chapter number 4. And what we're going to discover today is the fact that there are a lot of people. There's a lot of people who are trying to fit God into a box. Trying to put God into a place where he doesn't belong. And this morning as we get into this, 1 Samuel chapter number number 4, 
I want you to see with me, we're going to cover the whole chapter, but we'll just read it together. You can look at it. But 1 Samuel chapter 4, and I'm going to read the first three verses just to get us started. And here's what the Bible says. The word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer. And the Philistines pitched in Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines. And they slew of the army of the, this would be the Philistines slew of the army of Israel in the field about 4,000 men. Notice verse number three. And when the people were come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us. When it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. Again, this morning we'll stop reading right there, but we're going to discover the people of Israel... They tried to make God fit their mold to fulfill their purposes. They tried to make their, uh, if I can say it this way, they tried to make their worship of God, they tried to turn it into something that God never intended it to be. They tried to put God inside of a box. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to be challenged to not ever bring the approach that the children of Israel had in their relationship with the Lord. We're going to be challenged. God, help me never to bring that approach into my relationship with you. And so this morning, again, we're going to look and be challenged not to put God in a box, not to make worship something that fulfills my purposes, but to understand that worship can only happen when I'm worshiping the one true God the way that he desires. And this morning, I think it'll be a help to us and an encouragement. So let's just go to the Lord and ask him again to bless our time. And with your heads bowed and eyes closed, why don't you take a moment? And just in the quietness of of your own heart, why don't you commit this morning that uh, you're listening to God and that you want to hear from him? And then why don't you take just a second and ask him to speak to your heart today. Lord, speak to my heart. God, speak to my heart. And then make the commitment, Lord, if you speak to me, I'm listening to you and I'll respond to you today. Dear Lord, thank you for the day and thank you, Father, for the word of God. Thank you for how you use it in our lives. And Lord, I'm thankful that we can come and uh, we can gather together online and hear your word. And Lord, I know that your word desire, that you desire to use your word to impact us today. And so, Lord, I pray that you do just that. And, Father, we love you. We thank you for your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Dennis, would you bring me my water right there? Uh, When we go to uh, 1 Samuel chapter number 4, again this morning, what I want us to notice is a couple of things. I want us to see, first of all, the people of God. Notice, if you will, the people of God. As you come to 1 Samuel chapter number 4, we read about the children of Israel. Excuse me. We read about the children of Israel there, and if you were to go and do some research, you would find that the children of Israel, they were supposed to be the people of God. And we won't take time to do this, but we could go back and discover how God desired to, uh, to use the people of Israel to draw the world to him. Uh, of course, he wanted, he wanted the children of Israel and go all the way back to Genesis when God called Abraham and then when God would call Isaac and then God would call Jacob, uh, that the whole intention, God's idea was, I want to set apart a people that will worship me and claim me as their God, but also 
that I'll set apart a people who will, who will walk with me, have a relationship with me, and then point others to me. That's God's desire for his people still to this day. Uh, if you claim the name of God, God's desire is that you and I uh, would not only walk with him, but that we would draw people into that relationship. And so this is the children of God or the people of God, Israel. They're supposed to be uh, people who walk with him and draw people to him. But if you were here in our Judges series, you remember that more often than not, they missed it. More often than not, the children of Israel missed it. They instead Instead of living for the Lord, have a relationship with Him, they lived for themselves, and they wandered from the Lord, and they missed what the Lord had for them. And as we come to this chapter, we find that pattern continuing. And in particular, in this portion of Scripture, I want you to notice a few things about the people of God, the nation of Israel at this point. I want you to notice, first of all, that they were self-reliant. They were self-reliant. As we closed out chapter number 3 last week, we found out that the Lord had really established the children of Israel, or excuse me, he had established in the heart of the children of Israel that Samuel was going to be his messenger for the people of God. You can go back to verse number 20 of chapter 3. It says, And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And so God had made it very clear to the children of Israel, I am going to speak to you through Samuel. I'm going to use Samuel to minister to you and encourage you. And although Samuel was not a priest yet, all right, remember that. He's not in the office of priest yet, but God was still setting it up. I'm going to use Samuel in your life as my people to help you walk with me. And you would think then that since this has been established, that the people would be encouraged to once again begin seeking the Lord. You would think that they would begin seeking him, seeking the Lord through the messenger, Samuel. But we'll discover that that wasn't the case. That wasn't the case. As a matter of fact, what we find in verse number 1 of chapter 4 is we find that the children of Israel, they were leaning on themselves. It actually opens up by helping us see that God's word was going through Samuel, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to all, or the word of, uh, excuse me, the word of Samuel came to all Israel, but notice what it says next. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle. The very next thing we read is that the children of Israel, they know that Samuel has the word of God, but what do they do? They just turn and make their own decision. Without any leading from the Lord, they pack up their battle gear and they go off to war. One man said it this way. He said, this shows us how strong the self-sufficiency and selfishness of the people is. With no thought of seeking God's direction, they go out to battle against the Philistines and they are defeated. This was a very, very self-reliant action. They acted as if they didn't need God. If you go back God had given the children of Israel, and again, we don't have time to do it, but if you were to go back, you would read that God had given the children of Israel instruction to seek him. Whenever there's an enemy, seek me, seek my help, find out if you should go out and fight or if you should stay back and let me fight for you. Uh, God had given them that instruction, but the children of Israel here in 1 Samuel chapter number 4, they disregard that. They acted as if they don't need God, they don't need his instruction, and really that if you think about it, that's the story of mankind. That's the story of every one of us, self-reliant. And just as they acted as if we did, they didn't need God, we too 
go through times all too often where we're self-reliant, where we have that I've got this attitude, I, I don't need help, I can do this, and that's where the people of God were. I, I've told the story often, uh, if you were to go to, um, uh, um, what was I saying? Give me a second. I remember, oh, I've told the story often of times when I will be, uh, uh, I was witnessing to a man and talking with him, and I asked him a question. I said, how could I pray for you? And he said to me, oh, you don't need to pray for me. Don't bother God with my problems. I can handle my life. And I thought, man, that's so sad. And then I was convicted because there are so many times in your life and my life that we have the same thought. We become self-reliant. We become uh, uh, so self-consumed and absorbed that we don't look to God for help. We instead just look to ourselves. That's where the people of Israel were. They were self-reliant. I want you to notice also that they were self-righteous. They were self-righteous. As you continue reading, we find that they lose 4,000 people in battle. That's what it says in verse number 2 at the end of it, that they slew, the Philistines slew of the army of Israel in the field about 4,000 men. So 4,000 people died. You would think that maybe the children of Israel in this point, you'd think that maybe they would recall Joshua and the children with the children of Israel with the battle of Ai. If you go back to Joshua chapter number six and seven, remember that in five, you'd find that Joshua and the children of or Joshua chapter seven, that's where it is, that Joshua, the children of Israel, they went out to fight against Ai and this little little podunk town that they thought they could take and they go and they were defeated and three thousand soldiers, three thousand people were killed. And you would think that the children of Israel in first Samuel four would recall that. Well what did they do? Oh, they sought the Lord. God, why did we lose? But that's not what they do in 1 Samuel 4. Notice what they do. 1 Samuel chapter number 4, verse number 3, it says this. And when the people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel said, notice what they say. Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today? You know what they did? They completely blamed it on God. Hey, this is God's fault that we lost. I mean... Why didn't God let us win? Why did God smite us before the Philistines? They begin to criticize God and and put the fault on God and they accuse him and they're displeased with what God had done. All the while, they should have asked the Lord, God, what's going on? What's your wisdom? What's your direction? But instead, they accuse him. How dare God let us lose before the Philistines? What is this? This is just a self-righteous spirit. There's no chance that the problem could be with us. There's no chance that this could be our fault. There's no chance that we probably shouldn't have gone to war with the Philistines. There's no chance in this. No, the people of God didn't do that. And instead, or excuse me, the people of God did that. They said, God, why are you doing this? This is your fault. There was no chance in their minds that perhaps they needed to get things right with the Lord. Instead, God needed to make things right with them. God, you've offended me. The Bible says in Proverbs 19.3, The foolishness of man perverteth his way, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. That's exactly what we're seeing. It was their foolishness that twisted their way, but their heart was fretting, was anxious, was battling against the Lord. We see the people of God this morning, they're number one, self-reliant. Number two, they're self-righteous. But I want you to notice number three, they're superstitious. They're superstitious. After this loss, they come up with a plan. 
verse number three. Notice what it says. Their plan is this. Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. We see here that they decide to use the the ark of the Lord as some sort of good luck charm. Why don't you notice the wording? Notice the wording of what they say. They say, when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. They think that their failure is, hey, we don't have the ark with us. Since we don't have the ark, uh, uh, I mean, we know the stories about the ark. And since we don't have the ark, we better have that ark if we want victory. And they're actually making an idol out of the ark of the covenant. They're making an idol out of that. The ark, it was instituted by the Lord to represent God to the people, but it was never meant to become God to the people. The Lord never intended the ark to be deemed as supernatural, but instead he wanted the ark to point the people to the supernatural, to point the people to God. But they looked upon it to be, really they looked upon it to be just like an image of a false god. Right, the the, uh, uh, the people of the land, the Canaanites and the Philistines and all those different people in the land, they would worship idols, images, and they would bow down before them and thought that that's where power came from. And now we see the children of Israel putting that uh, emphasis upon the ark, thinking that uh, the power was in the ark. But what we're going to discover and what they're going to discover is that the power was not in the box. The power was in the God who created it. The power was in the God who uh, was, had, wanted a relationship with them. And the power was in the presence and the person of God. And we're going to see more about that in a minute. But I want you to notice what happens. Go, if you would, to verse number 4. Verse number 4, it says this. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang again. Man, what happens is when the Israelites get the Ark into the camp, man, they think they're getting somewhere. I mean, they have this big pep rally and they think they're being real spiritual and man, they're getting all excited about it. But really, they're committing idolatry. They're worshiping the Ark. They're not not concerned. Nowhere in here do we read, about them being concerned about the presence of God accompanying the ark. No, they just want the ark there. They want what they thought represented God to be there. And they thought themselves to have a sure victory. Now we're going to, for sure we're going to have victory. Why? Because we have the ark. They were superstitious, thinking that victory would be theirs because of the ark. I see this morning, the people of God, they were self-reliant. They were self-righteous and they were superstitious. But in all honesty, the attributes and the characteristics of the people of God really shouldn't surprise us because of what we're going to see next, the priests of God. The people of God, they were self-reliant, self-righteous, and superstitious. What about the priests of God? As we come to 1 Samuel 4, there are a few things that we're supposed to know already. Number one, Samuel was not a priest yet. Samuel was not a priest yet. He simply was a messenger for God, but not in the office of priest. So Eli, along with his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they are the priests who are supposed to be representing God to the people. 
But I want you to remember with me what kind of priests they really were. I see, first of all, that they were a disgrace. These guys who were in this office of priests, they were a disgrace. I want to remind you what the Word of God says about them. If you were to go back a couple of chapters, you would read in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse number 12, you read these words. Now, the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. This is the testimony. Hey, they were, they were sons of Belial, the false, the false god. They were, worship, they, were, they were children of sin, and they knew not the Lord. This is talking about the priests who are supposed to be the priests of God. Notice 1 Samuel 2, 23 and 24. Here's what it says. And he, speaking of Eli, said unto them, Hophni and Phinehas, Why do ye such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear ye make the Lord's people to transgress. These priests, Hophni and Phinehas, they were a disgrace, a disgrace to the office of priests. They were involved in all types of scandalous activity. They were causing the people of God to sin against God. And I want you to notice First Samuel 2, 17. It says, Wherefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. For men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Man, their sin was so bad, and we saw this a couple of weeks ago, and they were doing so many disgraceful acts against the office of priests that the people were actually despising worship. People didn't want to go to the tabernacle. They didn't want to be around the so-called men of God because of their sin, because they were a disgrace. Hophni and Phinehas, they were a disgrace to the position, but I want to point out that at this point, really so was Eli. It's sad that Eli would be one that God used in such a great way But yet at the end of his life, we see him being confronted by the man of God. And here's what the man of God, another man of God, a prophet, said to him. said, Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice and at mine offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorest thy sons above me to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel, my people. So Eli is actually being confronted by God through another prophet. And the confrontation is, Eli, you have put your family above me. Eli, you know everything that's going on. You know the sin of your sons. You know your sons are a disgrace. And yet you've put them above me. If you notice in verse number four of our text that Hophni and Phinehas, they're actually with the ark. So these disgraceful men of God, they were the men of God that should have been saying, no, we don't need to move the ark. No, let's seek God's counsel. Instead, they just travel along with the people, the superstition, self-reliant, self-righteous people. They just go right along with the action. So really, it shouldn't be surprising that God's people were so far from God because the priests were so far from God. They were a disgrace. But I want you to notice also also this morning that because of their actions and because of their rebellion against God, the Bible tells us that they were destroyed. I want to finish reading the story and look with me, if you would, 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse number 7. It says, And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is coming to the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? 
They, see, the children of Israel, they were superstitious, thinking the ark was God. And it proves part of that because the Philistines, now they're thinking, oh, the ark is their God. Now what are we going to do? And notice what takes place. It says, these, these are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, that ye be not servants unto the Hebrews as they have been unto you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. And the Philistines fought. And Israel was smitten, and they fled every man to his tent. And there was a very great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen. And the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. Notice verse 12. And there ran a man of Benjamin out of the army and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes rent and with earth upon his head. And when he came, lo, Eli sat upon the seat by the wayside watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. And when Eli heard the noise of the crying, he said, What meaneth the noise of this tumult? And, this, and the man came in hastily and told Eli. Now Eli was ninety and eight years old, and his eyes were dim that he could not see. And the man said unto Eli, I am he that come out of the army, and and fled today out of the army. And he said, what is there done, my son? And the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there hath been also a great slaughter among the people. And thy two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God is taken. And it came to pass, when he made mention of the ark of God, that he, Eli, fell from off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck brake, and he died, for he was an old man. And heavy. And he judged Israel 40 years. Verse 19. And his daughter in law, Phineas's wife, was with child, near to be delivered. And when she heard the tidings uh, that the ark of God was taken and that her father in law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and travailed, for her pains came upon her. She goes into childbirth. And about the time of her death, a woman that stood by her said unto her, Fear not. For thou hast born a son. Man, that should be a little bit of an exciting thing. But she answered not. Neither, neither did she regard it. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory is departed from Israel for the ark of God is taken. What we read here, we read taking place that Hophni and Phinehas, they're killed in the battle, and Eli dies upon hearing the news of the lost ark. And on top of that, the wife of Phinehas dies while giving birth on that very same day because of the death of her husband, the death of her father-in-law, and the loss of the ark. Really, what we see taking place in 1 Samuel 4, 7 through 22, is the prophecy that was given in the end of 1 Samuel chapter number 3, our first Samuel chapter number two, we find it coming to pass. The, the priests are destroyed. So here you have the, peace, the priests are destroyed. The people are beaten down. Many of them are killed. The rest are running scared. But why? Why are we reading this? I mean, why do we have all of this taking place? And, and why are we not reading about God's people being victorious? I'll tell you this morning that while we don't have all the reasons for these the situations resulting in this way, I believe we have at least one. And that's this, that the people and the priests, they forgot the person of God. 
They forgot who God was. Notice a few things from the passage this morning. First of all, they forgot that God is someone, not something. They forgot that God is someone, not something. The passage tells us, and we can see it from the people, from the priests, from Eli, and from uh, Eli's daughter-in-law, the wife of, of Phinehas, that while the ark was supposed to represent God to the people, it was never again supposed to be God to the people. And yet we see all of them, we see all of them putting their trust in the ark of God rather than the God of the ark. They put their confidence in something that God had designed to point them to God rather than putting their confidence in God. I see it through the whole chapter. I see it again with the people at the beginning in verse number three, with Eli, with his daughter-in-law. And while it's admirable that they worried about the ark, I believe that they missed it. I think Eli, boy, he should have been concerned. Well, why haven't the people sought God? How can I direct the people to God? But instead, he frets over the fact that the ark is gone. He should have been concerned that the children of Israel had not been seeking the Lord. He should have been concerned about the people being made right with God and coming back to God, starting with his sons. His daughter-in-law, as she is dying, she names her own son Ichabod, meaning the glory of the Lord has departed. And again, while the ark represented or was supposed to be a representation of the Lord to the, to the people of Israel, they were putting too much weight upon the ark and showing no dependence upon God. They forgot that God is someone, not something. Can I tell you this morning that we all need to be careful of this in our lives as well? Because we too can think that God is in things rather than a person. You see, the power of God was not in a box because you can't fit God in a box. The power of God was in his presence and in who he is. Can I tell you this morning that we can be equally as superstitious as the children of Israel? We can think that God is a certain way of doing things. I think right now about our current situation, if we're not careful, we can think, well, God can't work because the church isn't meeting. Oh, no. What? Well, you know, that, that's, not what God, that's not how God does things. But we need to understand and remember that God isn't a building. God isn't uh, a, um, a group of people up here singing. God isn't the songs being sung. God isn't those things. He spoke, those things can represent the Lord and draw us to God, but they're never supposed to be worshipped as God. And God, we, we can have this mindset of God can't possibly be using this time to grow his people in his church because this is just not how things are done. Can I tell you right now that all of us are treading new ground? Man, as a pastor, I'm in new territory right here, but I still want to have a mindset that God, you're not the building. God, you're supposed to be in your people and you're working in your people and having that faith. And he is a person not a thing. He's a person who's interested in the details of our lives and desires uh, for us to have him involved in our lives. And maybe, maybe we, excuse me, may we be careful of not committing idolatry and thinking that God is a certain way of things happening. The children of Israel, they were worshiping the ark, not God. And we can do the same thing today. We can put our confidence in something that God has designed to point to him rather than putting our confidence in him. We can worship religion more than the Lord. We can worship our service more than we worship God. And 
I think this time, again, it can really help us with that. I'll tell you this morning some thoughts. I tried to put some personal application to this. But let me tell you this morning that, you know what, if, if you'll sing at church when we're here and you'll sing together, but you won't sing there at home, who are you singing for? If we'll serve when other people are watching, but we'll not serve when no one is watching, who are we serving? If we'll be an encouragement to people when that encouragement is seen, but will not work to be an encouragement when maybe it's not going to be seen, man, who are we worshiping? Why are we encouraging? You see, I think sometimes we can forget again, just like they did, that God is someone, not something. Notice number two, they forgot God's capability and they leaned on their own cleverness. They forgot God's capability and they leaned on their own cleverness. Here's my question. Through the passage, why do we not find the children of Israel seeking God at all? Why don't we find them pausing and saying, hey, somebody go talk to Samuel. Hey, let somebody pray about this through the entire chapter. And really, over the next two chapters, we don't read at all about the people of God ever seeking God in this situation. Even after the ark is taken, 1 Samuel 5 and 6, when the ark is with the Philistines, we don't read about the people seeking God. As a matter of fact, until Samuel calls them, brings them together and tells them to seek the Lord at the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter number 7, we don't read about the children of Israel ever coming to seek the Lord. Why? Well, it's because they forgot who it was that they served. And instead, they tried to lean upon their own way of thinking, their own way of doing things. They leaned on their own knowledge and their own understanding. If you look in this passage, we read about the Philistines. Even they knew the power of God, and yet the very people of God... They forgot the capability, the power of who God was, and they leaned upon their own knowledge and understanding instead of leaning upon the one to whom they belonged. Wow, truly that is self-reliance like we looked at a moment ago. But before we sit back in amazement and disbelief and disappointment, looking at the children of Israel this morning, we need to understand that in our own lives, we too can be self-reliant. How many times have we forgotten who it is to whom we belong. So often we have times where we forget that God is able and we lean on our own way of doing things and we try and solve our financial problems. We try and piece back our marriages. We try to maybe overcome a certain sin or addiction. We try to change things that we might know how to change and how can I make all of these plans work together. And what we need to remember this morning is that, man, he has more capability than I have cleverness. The strength is in who he is, not in what I know. And can I tell you, we may find a little success here and there in our wit. But the truth is this morning that as a Christian of God, we will never experience the full potential and power of God in our life as long as we lean upon ourselves. They were trying to defeat an enemy in their own strength, and we too can try to defeat our struggles and overcome our circumstances in our own strength. And I would tell you this morning, again, I really just want to bring to light the current situation we're in, that we can try to rationalize and figure out everything going on and have in our mind, how can I solve the coronavirus on my heart and, and how can I make everybody see my point of view and all of that stuff? We need to understand that we're not God. God's in control of this. God knows what's going on. 
Don't lean on your own understanding about trying. I mean, I'm thinking right now there are many of you out there, uh, and, and this is a lot of folks maybe going through a financial crisis right now because of the economy, and some of you with your business have had to close the doors. Listen, right now is the time that we step up and say, God, I know that you're powerful. God, I can't control this. God, I can't control my finances through this, but God, I'm trusting that you can. And some of you might be looking. I'm thinking right now, uh, even with, uh, I'll pick on Carlos. I know he's out there probably listening this morning, but Carlos coming home from school and he can say god i did all of this college and now i can't get to go and graduate and i don't get this and i haven't really got to finish my senior year man i've I've challenged carlos and i'm thankful for the example he's been just to have the mindset of god i don't understand this but i know you're still in control and listen with your situation and my situation may we learn not to be like the children of israel Man, don't forget God's capability and lean on your own cleverness. I'm thinking of a famous verse that you know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thine own understanding. Man, don't lean on your thought and your cleverness. I see this morning the children of Israel, they forgot the person of God. They forgot that God is someone, not something. They forgot God's capability and they leaned upon their own cleverness. But notice lastly lastly with me this morning... They forgot that it is about God's presence, not their perception. They forgot that it's about God's presence, not their perception. The perception of the people of the children of Israel was this. If we have the ark, we're in good shape. The first time we lost, it's because we didn't have the ark, so let's get it. Eli's perception was, the ark is gone, everything's destroyed. Phineas's wife's perception was the ark is gone. Glory of God is departed. There is no hope. They were placing their trust in somewhere that God never intended for them to place it. I think this morning had they stopped, had they stopped, and Eli especially and Hophni and Phineas, they, they, they knew this. Had they stopped and reflected about the time when Moses looked to the ark, one of the very first times they would have found what they, that they had the wrong perception and that the ark was supposed to point them to begging the presence of God. With Moses, when he brought the ark before the people, here's what he prayed. Numbers 10.35. It came to pass when the ark set forward that Moses said, Rise up, Lord, and let thine enemies be scattered, and let them that hate thee flee before thee. Man, Moses had laid, laid it down. Listen, when we bring this ark out, it's supposed to represent God to us and drive us to God, to his presence. But the children of Israel, you know, they forgot. They forgot that it was about the presence of God and not their perception. One man said it this way about him. He said, here were no proper means used to engage God to favor them with his presence. What good then would the ark do them? It's the shell without the kernel. And I looked at that. You know what? They, they had that symbolism, but they missed the Savior. I'll tell you this morning that we, like the children of God, sometimes we can forget that we need the presence of God. I think, and this is really, it's been on my mind, this situation this week, and talking to a number of you on the phone this week, Man, it's been on my mind that we as a church need to understand and, and as, a, as mankind, we need to understand that we don't necessarily need all of these things. We need the presence of God. 
And we can meet. I, I, I love our church family and I love meeting. But even if we meet and don't have the presence of God, it's pointless. Man, we can go through this whole thing, this whole coronavirus time and this whole quarantine time and we can get time in with the family and we can get uh, maybe get watch that TV show that we've really been wanting to watch and we can maybe accomplish some tasks at the house and we can go through and we can do a bunch of stuff during this time. But if we miss, the, if we miss I believe, what God's trying to do in the people's, people of God's lives, if we miss that we need his presence, we've missed it. And may we go through this time and not have the mindset of, well, I'll be close to God if I'm doing this and doing this and doing that. May we just have this mindset of, Lord, I just need you. God, I just need your presence. As we read through 1 Samuel 4 this morning, I find myself challenged. Challenged and convicted about how often I try to make God fit in my mold. Can I tell you, stop trying to make God fit in your box. Here's the children of Israel. They're looking at the ark and they're forgetting God. They were trying to make God into something he was not, a trinket to be paraded around and to accomplish their purposes. And all the while, they really left God out. They forgot that he is a person who's interested in using his power on a daily basis through his presence in your life and in mine. Believer, I want to challenge you this morning. Stop trying to make God fit in your box. Instead, see him as a person who desires to be an intricate part of every detail of your life. Seek his presence on a daily basis and desire for his power to be at work in and through you. This morning, there's a lot of believers, there's a lot of us that we often try to fit God into our mold. And may we be challenged today. God, I'm not going to put you in a box this week. God, I'm going to recognize that it's your presence that I need. That you are capable of working in my life. And that God, you are a person, not just something to be had. But maybe this morning you're out there and you don't even know that God is in your life. I would ask you a question. Do you know for sure that Jesus Christ is your Savior? Do you know if you died today, that you'd go to heaven. You see, the truth is this, that every single one of us, the Bible tells us, the word of God tells us that we can know 100% that we're going to heaven based upon who Jesus is and what he did for us. You see, Jesus came to the earth. He was God's son, sent from heaven. He was sent to die on the cross. He lived a perfect life, but he was crucified. And after that crucifixion, he was buried. And then three days later, he rose again. He died for our sins. He rose to prove he is God. And today, there's a lot of people out there trusting in a church or in a baptism or in their good works. And this morning, if you're out there and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to tell you, none of those things can get you to heaven. None of those things can give you and I forgiveness with God. And the Bible tells us that there's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. And today out there, right there in your home, you could take time and receive Christ as your Savior. You can know for sure you're going to heaven by asking Jesus to forgive you of your sin, to come into your life and save you. And I would encourage you this morning that if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, you can make that decision today. For those of you out there that you have received Christ as your Savior, you know him, 
Will you make the decision with me that we're done putting Jesus in a box? Done putting God in a box. This week, I'm going to worship God for who he is. This week, I'm going to be drawn to his capability and his presence in my life. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit Moses Lake Baptist Church. 